We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome to episode 205 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsor betonline.ag. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist, featured on ESPN, Barca blog, and many others. Frances, I feel like La Liga is getting to its end. There's only two more matches for us to have to get through, but we're almost to the end there, and then it's all full steam ahead to the Champions League. Hola, Gules. Yeah, unfortunately, the position that we're currently in La Liga is not where we want it to be, uh, but it is clear that it is coming to an end. Um, I think the players will be relieved to see it go, to be honest. Um, I don't think they'll be happy to lose it, obviously, because um, I have to say that they have been trying, in my eyes, especially against Valladolid, they tried really hard to get there. It's just their legs were failing them. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a minute. But no, um, looking forward to the Champions League, and especially the break before it, so that our team can get ready to really challenge for the title. Yeah, while we record this now, as things stand, there's just one point separating Real Madrid and Barcelona, but due to that tiebreaker that Real Madrid also owns from the two matches that they played this season in El Clasico, Real Madrid have to drop points in two of their last matches, and I just can't imagine that happening. But as I said, Barcelona have to continue to fight on because it is just one point, and all things are possible, but very unlikely but possible. So we're going to start today's show by discussing the one nothing win over Real Valladolid. Vidal from Messi was the one goal. Nelson Semedo helped out there as well. And I think for this match, Frances, it was certainly a tale of two halves. 
And I think we're going to talk about the second half in a minute. But first, I really want to get into the formations, the tinkering, and what Kike Setien's idea was against this squad. Now, I talked about Real Valladolid being a team that, honestly, if you had asked me to name 10 players on every La Liga team, the team that I'm going to wait to the end to try to fill in is Real Valladolid, just because they're a team that has had their moments in the first division, but largely is a team that winds up being one of those yo-yo clubs. And unlike Hatafe at the moment under, under Borealis or a lot of different other teams in the Liga, they don't really have this firm identity in terms of playing style. They don't kick you and foul you as much as Atletico or Hatafe, but they don't play beautiful football either. They aren't necessarily a team that's going to try to counterattack you like Athletic Club. And they're not going to try to do their best to play around you like Abar might. They're just a team that's going to work hard, fight for every ball, and try to give their best try, but be well organized. And I think that is actually the perfect recipe for Kike Setien to know that his team is talented enough, try to put a formation and tactics out there to just overwhelm their opponent with more talent, find ways to execute on the more talented squad in Barcelona, but know that you're going to have a fight on your hands. And I think that's exactly the match that Real Valladolid gave Barcelona. For sure, for sure. I think that Valladolid need to play to their strengths. Um, there was a little dig that actually after the after the game in the press conference, Sergio González, the manager of Valladolid, gave Kike Setién, saying that you know he keeps complaining about us playing to our strengths, but that's what we have to do. And I do understand his position as well. Um, talking Barca here, I don't think they were brilliant, uh, but we got three points. That that was the target, to be honest. Um, Barca suffered much, much as it has been happening over the last. I want to say four, three, four matches since Villarreal, um, definitely against Espanol as well. We suffered against Valladolid, which is, uh, you know, bottom of the table team. I think they're 16th, 15th at the moment. Barca were far too slow. Um, it's just the players just don't have any more, any more, any more gas in the tank. Um, they are exhausted and they couldn't control the game as they wanted to. Um, I, I, I know you're going to talk about this, but I really like the fact that Kike Setien experimented with the formation and gave us something new at the start. Because, you know, I think the players and the opposing managers as well, they cannot really get used to same old, same old like we have been doing. And, and I think that any variation to make things better, and as I said in the previous podcast, that can be used as a dress rehearsal to make things, to make the team more effective and ready for the challenges that come ahead in the Champions League. I think that's, that's all positive. Well, before I go into formations and tactics and all those things, I do want to ask you, I think I've asked you this before. It's been about a year plus, though, since I did. You hear the term uh, sofrito a lot in Spanish, as in they say that the managers always say we had to suffer a lot to get the three points. We had to suffer. So what does that mean? Does that mean physical suffering? Because, I mean, just the translation from English, does that, which usually means in English, physical suffering. But it could also mean mental suffering. It could also mean that they're just taking a lot of knocks or that they just had to merely survive and hang on. But how would you describe when managers say, what is the, the best example of a definition for when managers say that we had to suffer to get three points? Well, I think it's a literal translation. Sufrir means suffering, and right. it means the exact same in Spanish as it does in English. I think that um, Barca suffered mentally, physically, and you know they were agonizing by the end of the game. Um, luckily, we had Tejteg and saving the three points once again. But no, it's a, it's a literal translation. I think that Setien and Sergio, but definitely Setien talking Barca here, um, has understood that Barca don't have any easy games left, um, to be honest. Um, there is just not enough energy. There's not enough legs. Uh, and, the, and because of that, there isn't enough oxygen getting to players' brain to actually be creative and be spectacular. I was watching some of Real Madrid game the other day, and they're also pretty bad. 
<laughs> to be honest. You know, I agree. They haven't been. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. They're not, they're not doing anything amazing. They just seem to be a little bit more solid than Barca and seem to be using their players a little bit better, especially the fact that, you know, in every game there are three, four changes in terms of the starting 11 and the five subs are used consistently, which I think is the key difference post-lockdown that has happened between Barca and Madrid. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I would say that whether it's a Real Madrid match that you're watching or it's a Barcelona match at the moment, with the heat and the summer in July and all the physical things that are going against the players when they're playing every three to four days, we're going to get to fatigue and injuries after the ad. And I'm going to talk about tactics now, but I, I think certainly I agree with you that the fans and coolers as well, the Sotros Sofrimos as well, you know, it's that's for everybody <laughs> to have to get through it together. Mm -hmm. So let's talk some yep. formations and tactics. And, and I think this boils down to the question, did Kike Setien tinker too much yesterday and against Real Valladolid? And the context I want to want to give is that when I saw this initial lineup, I figured that it would be Ricky Puj behind Messi and Griezmann because Luis Suarez was not in the starting lineup. So I figured it'd be Messi and Griezmann up top and then Puj in behind in front of Busquets, Vidal, and Roberto in what you, you've been saying rhombus and I've just been calling it a 4-3-1-2. But I, I think there is a credit to Kike Setien that he continued to not only keep us guessing, but keep his op opponent guessing as well. I, we had talked last week about Sergio Roberto's best position, midfielder or right back, and then Kike Setien comes in and says, well, Actually, what if he's a center back, right? What if he just let's throw out the midfield right back idea and let's make him a center back with the uh, in in a three formation, basically making it a a three five two, if you will, or you could call it a three one two two two. So regardless of what the formation is, it's three at the back with the wingers out wide, and then Busquets in behind Puj and Vidal and Messi and Griezmann up top. So the two certainly up top is the important note there as well. Uh, and it's funny to me that while I thought I had the formation right. Kike Setien puts a wrinkle in. I think this wrinkle comes in because he expected Real Valle to lead, who have played five at the back at times this year, to play five at the back. And it was actually surprising that they didn't go that way and pack it in. But he, I think, prepared to use his the experimental formation he had used in the very first match of the season to counteract what Real Valle to lead was expected to do with five at the back. However, at that point here, now please stay with me, listeners, here. He did tinker, and he did try to work things even though he had a limited bench and older players on that bench and older players on the field as well. So in the 57th minute with the inclusion of Ronald Araujo and even Rakitic, Barca switched to what I would call a 4-2-3-1 with Rakitic and Busi as a double pivot with Vidal and Roberto flanking Messi. Valladolid, though, adjusted really, really well here and credit to Sergio for just pushing more numbers forward. So if Barca were going to change their formation into a double pivot, Real Valladolid is just going to make sure they keep them on their back heels, especially as they were aging and the sun was starting to beat down on those older players for Barca. And Real Valladolid tried to take an advantage there. And, th and they also knew that, especially with Luis Suarez up top in that second half, Barca were not going to be able to counter. And Real Valladolid assumed that, and they absolutely got it right. And then that experiment yeah. only lasts... Only, yeah, that experiment only lasts about 14 minutes or so when Busquets comes out in the 74th minute for Junior Firpo. So with that substitution, it became a 3-4-3 while attacking with Somedo out on the right and Alba high on that left wing with support by Junior Firpo in behind. But then they were defending in a 3-5-2, something they had to do for someone to the match. So there's so many numbers there, but when you hear all that Frances, it, and it gets confusing as the match goes on, but it felt like maybe Kike Setien, I don't know if he tinkered too much, but he made his gambles in his tinkering, and Real Valladolid had an answer every time. Yeah, well, I do see it a different way. I think that Kike Setien has realized that his team is exhausted. Um, he was talking before in the 
before the game in the press conference saying that they've got data that is that shows that the players are you know, a peak condition. I was, I was laughing to myself and thinking, well, whoever bought that machine should be sacked immediately. Um, it is clear the team this doesn't have um, a lot of petrol left in the in the tank. Um, I think it was great to see Setien going back to his original idea. We can't forget that these three centre-backs, which, you know, it's not really three centre-backs, it's two centre-backs, with Sergi Roberto dropping as a third whenever needed, especially to build, and with the two wide full-backs. I think that's what he did in his first two, three matches until... I want to say he succumbed to player power and changed it. But obviously, I, I'm really happy to see that he's sticking to his guns, sticking to his original idea. And especially now that La Liga, unfortunately, seems to be pretty much gone. Um, I do like the fact that he tries to do things. I mean, this is one of the main criticisms of Setien in the last two months, that he just, um, you know, whatever he draw on the board at the beginning of the of the game... He just went with it and the 11 players that started the game pretty much finished it and you know apart from a couple of subs that he would have made not not the five so i think that it is a great sign of, of better things to come i do like a manager with personality i do like a manager that can react and uh, if he's trying to take more out of his team rather than just running things run its course and play along with the downhill feeling that seems to be surrounding the team i think that that can only be a positive um, and the fact that Sergio had to adapt to whatever Setien was doing and he won the tactical battle. I mean, that's not something that we have said about Setien a lot in the last month and a half. So I'm really, really pleased with that. Um, and obviously the result is that we won the game. It was not pretty. It was not spectacular. It just couldn't be at this moment in time. And it is really sad to see that there isn't anything else. But, you know, we got three points and we just move forward now. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think too that by changing up your tactics in that way, there's a particular way to use these players where Junior Firpo came into that match not just because he's the backup left back, but to serve a role because he is a better, we'll say, outside left center back than Jordi Alba would be. And just because of due to rotations, he's able to move Alba further forward. And I we talked about Sergio Roberto again, and I think this match once again confirms that we need to speak about him once more. Because in yesterday's match... He only did this briefly for, I noticed about five minutes or so when Nelson Semedo and Sergio Roberto actually switched spots and it was Roberto who played farther on that right wing than it was Semedo. But that only happened for about three or four sequences and then they switched it back, which is interesting to know. I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if that is just in, in the concept of total football, which I noticed Barca were in that, especially in that 3-5-2, we're trying to do a lot. And for me, it shows you the importance of Sergio Roberto. How many players for Barcelona, and I think this is what happens with older players as well, how many players for Barca can play in a ton of positions, in multiple positions, where we know that Rakitic and De Jong, those are two players that can both be a, an interior or a defensive midfielder. They can also supplement for Busquets. But a lot of the other players, and PK also has his 10 minutes every match where he wants to be the center forward, so we get that. But I think he's always the center back. You don't take out a center back to let Gerard PK do that. And then Messi's versatility lies in Messi's versatility. But other than that, you look up and down the roster, and Sergio Roberto is the only one that really is fill in and play wherever Kike Setia needs him. And it just just remind you that it's not just his versatility is important, but he's so good at every position he plays in. Not the best on the field in any position, but so good in every position he plays that he just allows Kike Setien to do so much and try to do so much and experiment so much. And I think this is the main point here, that if Kike Setien was given a preseason 
I've almost become a contrarian to the idea that I presented a week and a half or two weeks ago about Sergio Roberto that it would be befitting of Barcelona to give him a, a, a central position. But if you gave Kike Seti in the summer and Kike Seti and said, okay, these are the ways in which I'm using Sergio Roberto and these are positions in which he'll play in the certain formations that I want to utilize and the club and team actually had an understanding of those formations, then it makes Sergio Roberto even more valuable somehow because of how important and versatile he could be under Kike Setien. Because under Valverde, he was just playing right back or he would fill in in dire situations in midfield. So under Valverde, we knew that he was going to go that 4-4-2 formation or, well, more often than not, a 4-3-3. But either way, it was Sergio Roberto at right back or it was Nelson Semedo and it was, an, it was a one or the other. But Sergio Roberto still being... <laughs> Unfortunately, one of the younger players on the squad, even though he's much closer to 30 than he even is to 25. So even at his age, he's able to play 90 minutes in a way that some of the others aren't. Personally, I think that every manager under the sun would love Sergio Roberto to be part of the team. Um, he is an incredibly polyvalent, charismatic, influential player that has helped the team in any way, shape or form he can. And he does that consistently well. So it is great to have him at Barca. Yeah, much agreed. But unfortunately, not everybody has the versatility and ability to go 90 minutes like Sergio Roberto. So we're going to talk about injuries, fatigue, and having an older squad on the other side of this break. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So we are giving credit to Kike Setien and his tactical ideas and formations coming into the game. Barca played really well in that first half, but then fans were treated to the second 45 minutes when Antoine Griezmann came out, Luis Suarez came in, and... While we thought that it was just the miss in the 20th minute might have mentally put Antoine Griezmann in a bad place, he didn't look like himself. As I had been saying now for the last five shows, that I even if he hasn't been getting goals, he's gotten a few, but his movement and the work that he's doing, not just defensively, because he was always going to be doing that having come from Diego Simeone, but his ability to begin to move. And I, I saw a lot of bright spots against Espanyol, against Villarreal, and even against Atletico Madrid. But for Antoine Griezmann, he looked completely out of sorts. Maybe the worst 45 minutes that he had under Barca, and now we find out that he was probably dealing with an injury, which to my understanding is what that looked like. And I, I almost like I was almost like Zubruta film going through yesterday and trying to see when that moment happened. And about the I think it was a seventh minute, there was a run he had in behind. And from that moment on, he wasn't making that run as much. He looked like he was laboring a little bit more. And I think that for Antoine Griezmann, not to say that that gives him an excuse or an out for yesterday's performance, but I do kind of throw that one out because there was a drastic difference in his movement from one minute to the very next minute. But it wasn't enough for him to come off because he still was able to physically move, what, 80%. And now you find out yep. that that hamstring was happening and he probably is going to miss the rest of La Liga. For sure. I think that um, it was great to see him starting ahead of Luis Suarez. Um, as we know, Suarez is far from his best. 
He lacks his spark. Um, he can score incredible goals if you leave him on the pitch long enough. But then again, what is he adding beyond that? Um, his head is unfortunately quicker than his legs and body right now. So to have Griezmann as a starter, I was very happy to see. I thought he was decent. You've already mentioned that he probably has his worst showing in the last month, which is sad to say. But obviously, if there was some sort of discomfort, some sort of injury growing in there, it is... Um, it, it, it's, it's what it is, unfortunately, which we, we unfortunately we're saying far too often. It is what it is. We just have to deal with it. Um, it's not a time of the year, given the 72-hour grueling schedule, to, to, to rule our opportunities and to, to expect much more from the players than what they're actually given. And um, to miss Griezmann over the next two matches is not going to be great, um, to be honest. He should be getting some rest as a result, so that could be a, a silver lining in there, a bit of a positive. And hopefully he's ready when we are back for the Champions League. Yeah, we have a question from Christopher that we missed from LaRonda earlier in the week. With an aging squad and creativity at a premium, what would you say is Barca's best chance for creating more goal-scoring opportunities against teams that park the bus? And it does kind of go with the fact that Barca is not a team that really can compete like that in the second half, where if they have that one nothing lead... You notice that Kike Setien is kind of bowing to the fact... I don't think he's bowing to the players. I think he's bowing to the idea that, that Barca is going to be fortunate to hold on to these one nothings. That's why Real Valladolid and Espanyol, they needed those points a whole heck of a lot more than Barca did. And I know we want to continue to say that La Liga is still possible and they're only one point off Real Madrid. But these other teams getting desperate and there are other teams who have subs that they can put in to try to add a little bit of fight and fire in a way that Barca really can't because the ability that Barca has to use their width was completely neutralized yesterday. Now, we saw that Nelson Semedo out on that right, even though he was much better, I thought, with his passing, especially in the first half, and instead of making that overlapping run out to the the, the right wing near the corner flag to, to add width and to cross into <laughs> really nobody, right? Maybe you have Luis Suarez in there, but he really doesn't get things in the head. He doesn't make that near post run, does Suarez. It, it's more of a get it to him in the box, and then he'll, he'll do the rest. So Nelson Semedo was adding the width, but... That match, especially in the second half, was absolutely crying out for Dembele or Fatih, who was suspended, and you needed something else that just wasn't there. And so I could almost hear you in the back of my head, Frances, screaming, we need width, you need somebody to brought in, you need a top-level winger in this kind of situation. But it wasn't just that there wasn't a winger in that position because Fatih was suspended. But by that time, you look at the fatigue and injuries that are building up. Uh, just De Jong still, and this is a big reminder that we go through this stretch for Barcelona without Frankie De Jong, who is probably Barca's most talented midfielder. I'm not saying best, but I'm saying, or in form, I'm just saying most talented natural midfielder just because of the legs he has with his age and the ability he does have on the ball and the ground that he just is able to cover as well. We've seen Alba, Roberto, Suarez, Messi probably with the lingering injury. Dembele, he's got his own injury history. Griezmann is now out. And Umtiti is probably out through another transfer window or a tran- yeah, another transfer window as well. So this squad has been ravaged up and down with injuries. And people want to say, well, you need to clean house and get rid of the whole medical staff. But you also look at players like this who have to play this many minutes in hot Spanish heat every 72 hours. I mean, I don't need to be a doctor to tell you that it's just not working. That's just not going to work no matter what squad yeah. you are. And it's not just Barca that are suffering from this. All squads are dealing with this. All squads that are throwing out older players have this number of injuries. It's not a matter of Barca's so, uh, physios just can't handle this. It's that it, it's the nature of the squad that is built. 
Yeah, but, but but also at the same time, every team in La Liga is playing under the same conditions and is playing under the same schedule. So I think that the, the, the squad should just be younger. Um, and if you're not going to invest 30, 40, 50, 60 million euros on bringing an average player from another league, for example, you could just trust La Masia. That's what, uh, that's what Barca B is there. That's what our youngsters are. That's, that's their dream. That's why they work, you know, from, pretty much from birth to be who they want to be and have the chance of playing at first team level. And you've got players like Collado, Monchu, uh, even Morer. You've got um, Araujo played the other day, but he hasn't been trusted that much. These players can certainly do a job. You know, um, if you look at Madrid, as I, I say this every week, they're doing it. They're rotating. And, and Barca, Setien in this case, should have been better at doing it. Um, there's no two ways about it. It is really sad to see how the team drops in the second halves due to this alarming exhaustion. I mean, it is understandable. And as I said before, it is what it is. But it is painful to watch. Um, if the rotation had been better, we wouldn't be in this position. The team right now is just dead, especially in the second halves. And, and Setien, as I said before, luckily has realized and has begun to found, finally found his personality and do some tweaks to, to make things better. But to be honest, it feels more like survival more than anything else. And Players are constantly having to be aware and adapt within the games. And I'm happy that they can do that. But I just feel that we shouldn't be in this position right now. And despite the schedule, despite the heat, despite all of that. And I want to throw a positive here as well. I'm very happy that the players really do seem like they care and really do seem like they want to go further. It's just, it's just not, pos- not possible. They just can't do it. Um, the players have won eight of the last 11 ligas, and I'm happy that they're not just throwing away the 12 when things have turned ugly. Um, and I think that shows a degree of pride from the players. Obviously, I'm not saying every player needs to stay next year. I think regular listeners to the podcast know that I'm not just a cleanup of the medical staff, which I think should be looked at as well, but the average of a champion team cannot really be 27, 28 years old with five players at 32, 33. It's just not possible. I mean, I may be digressing a little bit here, but just yesterday, it was 10 years since Spain won the World Cup in South Africa, and I watched the whole game, including the overtime, in full. Right? That team had just little people playing on it. <laughs> Apart from Busquets and Sergio Ramos, and Piquet, everyone else is tiny, tiny in terms of size. Obviously, in terms of talent, they were enormous. But they just kept going, and the physicality, the stamina, the hunger, the eagerness, the talent was just through the roof. You know, you had the World Cup final, you got Pedrito starting. I mean, I would kill to have Pedro at 25 years old at Barca right now. He would do so much damage. But then he gets substituted by someone like Jesus Navas, who... I don't think he's ever been a top, top caliber player, but man, was he effective. And he is, is their life depended on it. And that is just not something that at 33, uh, as we say in Spanish, con la barriga llena, with your belly full of trophies, that's a translation. I don't think you can do that anymore. You want to do it, but it's just your body needs to be in a different position. Um, Manchester United, Chelsea, um, Manchester City, arguably, obviously Liverpool. They've got so many youngsters coming through. They've got so much energy. They last the whole game. And you feel that when the 90th minute whistle comes, they could go for another half hour. I mean, that happens to Barca in the first cooling break. So I think a change is inevitable and has to happen. 
Well, yeah, it does go back to this idea that Barca are missing a generation. I, I mentioned this months and months ago about the United States men's national teams in a similar position where it feels like they really don't have any top, top level players from the ages of 25 to 29. And that is the peak. That is when you're hitting your athletic prime at 27, 28. And for Barca to be missing that generation, it means that you have players that are looking for experience in Fati or Puj, even De Young, who's only been playing first team top level football for under two years. And he's only been in the Liga for now this time that he's been with Barcelona and he was in the Eredivisie before that, which isn't one of even the top five leagues. So I, I think for Barca, they're still growing and getting players to get to their point. And Dembele, I mean, you could still say that Dembele, even though he started playing professionally when he was 18 at, uh, at a high level in France before he even made the move to Dortmund. But he still, with all the matches he's missed, is the equivalent of a 21-year-old in terms of first-team experience, having started at 19 or 22 years old or whatever it may be. So there's still a squad that is looking for experience, yet they just don't have anybody in the middle who's Roberto's age, who's Bartra's age, who's Thiago Alcantara's age, who's Andre Gomez's age, who's Paco Alcantara's age, who's Rafinha's age, if you're catching my drift here, that there is a missing generation at Barca, and that continues to be an issue, and will continue to be an issue for the rest of that season. Now, at this point, though, I do want to kind of paint what's going to happen the rest of this year and bring up the two different ideas here. I'm going to talk about Barca B now, and then we're going to move to the Champions League in a second, because those things are connected. I think for uh, the point you made, Frances, about watching the fight that Barca's players had and the ones on the field have not given up the Liga or conceded the Liga is a really good point. Unfortunately, though, I think that that's true, but it goes against this backdrop that it would be helpful if you had youth and Barca B players to facilitate that. And I've been seeing the praises of Barca B players not to be starting over these veterans, but to be serving of 15 minutes at the end of matches. And since football came back, Callado, Manchu, who I think have deserved 10 to 15 minutes, they just didn't get any. So they were kept coming to matches and sitting on the bench and sitting in the stands. So instead, the decision was made on the road against Real Valladolid to not bring any of those players. Even Anyaki Pena, who is the third string goalkeeper, he was replaced with Arnaud Tanas, who is the Juvenil A goalkeeper. So on Barca's bench against Real Valladolid, there were so few subs that you had both Neto and Tanas in the active subs, meaning two goalkeepers as your backups, and then only five other players available to come on, which is just not enough for not enough bodies, not enough first team players. That all was because instead of wasting the time of Callado and Manchu to come on the road to not play, and even Fati didn't make the trip. Instead, Barca B were playing and preparing for on July 19th. So now a week from today, they're playing in their first of three hopefully three playoffs to get promoted to the Segunda division because that is now being seen as a priority as well. And I agree. I agree with the point that if you're going to have Mancho and Callado uh, just sitting on the bench and not getting any minutes, it's been great that they're, they're training with the first team and they'll continue to do that. But for Barca B to get them continuity and work things out because, okay, get your popcorn ready because I'm going to go in the little Barca B thing. It's not a rant. It's not anything. I just want to inform people who have questions about this that Unfortunately, with Barca B, June 30th was a big, big date where luckily at the 11th hour, as we mentioned on the show, Francisco Garcia Pimienta was able to be re-signed and renewed at least for a year. So good. There's a manager in place for the playoffs. That was the biggest requirement. However, you have Chumi, who was a, the, one of the starting center backs. You had Kiki Sabarillo, who had five goals, three assists, and was one of the starting wingers. You had Guillaume Jalma was the starting right back, and then you had Sergi Puj, who was the backup goalkeeper. Those three players did not renew, so they are not going to be playing in the playoffs. So you're missing three starters, 
right up front. You have Ricky Pooj, who I think is still, as much as you'd love to have him play in the playoff, I think Ricky Pooj is going to be really important to be still getting minutes in the first team, and he does get enough minutes where I'd much rather like to see him against Osasuna and Alaves as opposed to playing in the playoff. So now you're missing four starters. Hiroki Abe, who also started the most matches at the false nine position for Barca B this year as a center forward, it has that long-term injury. So now you're up to five starters that Barca B is missing at the moment. So for their starting lineup, you have their captain, Manchu, who's been, I think, their best and most important player all year, including, I say important, maybe Puj was the best, but Manchu, I think, has actually been their most important player. Kayado is going to be there. You have Peke, the 17-year-old. Gerard Fernandez is his name. He came over from Dom in the offseason. He was also playing Juvenal. He's done really well, so he'll get a start there. Minaj is another one of the forwards, but he could be replaced by Ansu Fati, which would be huge. It would be gigantic, but in the same way, the first team doesn't really have the depth, and it looks like Brothwaite doesn't play. So Fati, if he's on the first team depth chart of a Brothwaite, we'll have to see what happens with Fati. He really is the big question mark there. You have Ariana, you have Reese, you have Akime, Cuenca, and then, then Oscar Magueta, who has basically been a super sub, doesn't really play on the back line. He could be the starting center back if Araujo is still with the first team. And then you have Danny Morer, who was the backup right back this season as well. So, and then Inaki Pena fits in in net. So for, there are so many questions with Barca B, who at the moment, it's actually a tryout for the core of next year's squad. All of these Juvenal players, including the American Conrad de la Fuente, Niels Mordemar, E.S. Uh, Moriba, potentially, who's made appearances, Alvaro Sanz. Like, so you have all these Juvenal A players that are basically getting a tryout to see if they're going to be important and fitting in to this playoff. So to sum that all up, for Barca B, you're showing that they are, the club has decided they are going to go for this playoff. However, because of the pandemic, this is a team that is not looking anything like the team that played in the third division all season long. And Garcia Pimienta is also having to figure things out on the fly. And it's just, it's going to be a difficult task for them. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think that the Barca B promotion is essential. I think that there is enough quality through coming through La Masia and especially at Barca B level, having some, you know, what they call super signings um, in order to strengthen and bring experience. I think all of that has to be the way forward. Um, I am eager to see what they can do. I mean, Valladolid Promesas, which is Valladolid B, um, is the first rival. I think that they should have enough to beat them and then progress through the ranks. Um, having the filial, the, the Barca B team, in Segunda División next year will be a luxury. If you think about it, the jump that uh, Fati and Puch and hopefully many more next year will be doing will not be as alarming and they will be much, much more ready in terms of quality because, you know, from Segunda División B to Primera División or even the Champions League, that is a huge jump that you, these youngsters, it's just, it's just too much for them. So they, they need some adaptation time. So um, I'm really looking forward to watching Barca B under the tutelage of um, García Pimienta and see what they can do. But uh, fingers crossed, Setien can allow as many players um, not to go with the first team to strengthen the, the second team because in the long term, especially if La Liga is lost, which it seems to be, in the long term, that's really going to help the club as a whole. Yeah, as I said, the real wild card here is the way Pimienta is going to be utilizing his Juvenal A promoted players that will make up the core of Barca B. So even if Barca B are promoted next year, the positive mm -hmm. is that the last time they were in the second division, so what, two seasons ago, they were a team that were trying to fill in, especially an ugly January transfer window where they brought in a ton of those 22 to 24-year-old players who were second or third-rate players themselves or second or third-division players themselves who just didn't really help the squad much. But no matter what, next year, unless some major overhaul is made, the majority of the players for Barca B 
are going to be players that have been in La Masia for a number of years, and the core of that team is going to be 17 to 19 years old in the second division if they make it. And that is something we have not seen for quite a few years now. And they are going to be in a relegation fight next year, but I think that's okay because I think the crop that is coming through at that 17 to 19 year mark are prepared to at least start to fill in. Uh, and I think I'm it, not, it, is, it is a promise. Dan, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that would be the case. I think that if Basavi get promoted, I think Bartomeu, which he has done before, he will spend some money and bring four or five more experienced players to that have a good experience in Segunda División because otherwise it could be a little bit like suicide going with 17, 18-year-olds. That's what we would like to happen, but I don't think with Bartomeu and the current, you know, Abidal, Kloiber, etc. setup, I don't think that happens. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, though, because the players that have already been promised and renewed with the club, you just now have too many players. If they're going to bring in yeah. new players then they're going to have to... It doesn't make sense to sell players that just signed renewal. So I think that's my... That's going to be the interesting the interesting wrinkle here, where if they yeah, are no, promoted... I, I, I yeah. agree with you. I think you're right. I think I'm right. I think you're right. But yeah. I don't think that's what the club will do. Yeah, I mean, I, I would cynically agree that... Yeah, we already see the club has spashed, uh, splashed a few million, which I think was already decided on pre-pandemic. But they are going to be bringing in 19-year-old Gustavo Maia, so we'll see what he can do. Another Brazilian forward, though, who is not even well-rated in Brazil. So I wouldn't... <laughs> I'm just mentioning him on the pod basically for housekeeping, <laughs> but we don't have to waste even a single <laughs> second on him for next year until he can actually start to prove it. Speaking of proving it, Barca are... I want to finish the show by talking about the Champions League draw are going to have to prove it in the Champions League because I want to remind people, it's been many, many months, but in Napoli, uh, against Napoli... Barcelona are back at home at the Camp Nou. It is a 1-1 aggregate at the moment, and they're going to be at home because they did get that crucial through Griezmann, that crucial away goal against Napoli. But I want to remind you that that Champions League match at the Camp Nou in three weeks' time against Napoli, they're without Sergio Busquets and Arturo Vidal. So if you want to know why Ricky Puj is getting so many minutes and you're looking around and saying, well, who's going to be playing against Napoli? It's going to have to be... You have four midfielders to, to play at the Camp Nou against Napoli. I guess five, because I rank Frankie de Young will be ready. So I guess Frankie de Young replaces one of Busquets and Vidal. And now you're working with, is it going to be Sergio Roberto in the midfield? Is it going to be Puj to get a start? Obviously, Rakitic is going to start. So you're going to get de Young and Rakitic with one of Roberto, Ricky Puj. I, am, I, am I missing anybody? Because that's what the situation no, no. that Barca has to deal with in their midfield, where you're missing Busquets. So I would say in, certain, in terms of tinkering and trying to figure things out, Napoli is going to know exactly who's playing for Barcelona under Ricky, I mean, uh, under Kike Setien because they are going to be dealing with suspensions. Uh, and then De Jong is going to be a big lift coming back. But there's a chance that that Napoli, even if he's able to come back for Osasuna, which I still don't know. We're, we're not aware if he's going to be able to come back midweek. So best case scenario, he's played two matches and then had a two-week break before playing against Napoli in, at this point now, because they're not going to win the Liga, Barca's most important match of the season. It's not a good position to be in. We're going to try to be optimistic. Fatih will be ready for that. Uh, I don't expect him to play in the playoff on the 19th, but even if he does, he'll be back for the Champions League. And then even if Barca beat Napoli, I don't want to look too far ahead, but the whole news this week was the draw. And because of the matches that were already done with, you have Atalanta, against PSG, you have RB Leipzig of Germany against Atletico Madrid on one side of the bracket, which is crazy to think, right? That one of those four teams is going to easily get one of the, the, the final spots. And then one of the other teams that's going to make it is one of Real Madrid or Man City, Lyon or Juventus, Napoli or Barcelona, or Chelsea or Bayern Munich. 
That is bananas. That if Barca are able to beat Napoli, then they get Bayern Munich. And then after that, they get one of Lyon, Juventus, Real Madrid, or Man City. And no, no disrespect to Lyon, who's actually leading that tie. You would expect that you're going to see Man City or Real Madrid. And Man City is also leading the tie against Real Madrid. So it's of a point where anything could happen. I've said since the pandemic came back that Bayern Munich is my overwhelming favorite to win the Champions League. But either way, Barca, it's not even to say that Barca on the bad side of the bracket. But it feels almost impossible. And there certainly is desperation that coolers should have and it's completely merited to be terrified that even if Barca get by Napoli their season's going to be over in a hurry well let me just take a leaf out of Diego Simeone's book we need to go partido a partido which is match by match I, I'm not certainly in the situation that you know we've been average going to bad and terrible um, over the last couple of months. I'm not going to look beyond the Napoli match. I think that what Barca need to do is make sure they've got very comfortable bets. They've got massages. They've got saunas. They've got <laughs> magic pills um, to recover the players and to make sure that they are ready because otherwise we're just going to play Napoli at the Camp Nou and be knocked out. Um, in terms of what you were saying about the four midfielders we've got, to be honest, those four midfielders should be, in theory, having much more quality than the midfielders that Napoli can have and the vast majority of Champions League teams can have. So I think that Barca was enemy are ourselves. We, we just need to make sure that we recover our players, both physically and mentally. Um, we probably would have lost La Liga at that stage. Um, so players are probably going to have to mourn and you know rebuild their egos and pride uh, over that two-week break, which, to be honest, I think is a blessing in disguise, and then be ready to rumble when when the Champions League returns. Um, other than that, um, I have said that Bayern Munich are a fantastic team, but they're not the only one. But as, uh, as I just said, we just need to make sure that we can beat Napoli at home um, or get a goalless draw, which how sad it would be to go through with that. But, you know, that's the, it's what it is, which seems to be the sentence of today. And then just, just build from there. But going ahead, I don't think there's any point right now. Yeah, I agree. There's still a lot of challenges and that's still a few weeks away. So we're not going to, we're not going to spoil any ideas of formations on what the club is potentially going to do and ideas that Kiki Sati might have. We are going to break down that, that Napoli match in much more detail later on. So I think that's a good spot, though, to leave it here, wrapping up this edition of the Barcelona Podcast. We want to thank you again for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at Hudson D13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. You know where our closed Facebook group is. It's tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions. You got to make sure you fill out those questions, and I think people are doing a good job of that. And so we have a bunch of new members that have come in in the last month, so that's been really exciting to see. And I want to say welcome to all those who have joined the Facebook group recently zero charge doesn't cost anything to get there but if you do have a few extra dollars to spare we have a patreon that helps us continue to make these shows at tbpod.link backslash patreon we're also on youtube at the barcelona podcast so doing really well there as well subscribers and that is where i always do if you want pictures to go along with these tactical breakdowns and instead of having me throw out all these numbers i actually have screenshots i actually show you the formations on the screen so you can head over to the youtube channel just to check all that stuff out and when you're there give it a like give it a subscribe and hit that bell for notifications. So I think that wraps it up for this edition of the Barcelona Podcast. I want to thank you again for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.